Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. 2 Timothy 3, this whole concept that in the last days there will be perilous times. There's going to be times that are real stressful, that are hard. But part of the reason is, is there's a delusion that's entered the world. The world is deluded. Unfortunately, the church can buy into some of that delusion. And what we're looking at is how do we stay out of that? But at the same time, the, the whole um, impetus of this, of this series is how do we pray for revival? And, and I want to I start just by throwing this out because I, w- I would like you to make this part of your prayer time to just pray because really when you get down to it, if you, if you think about it, um, we, we should all evangelize. We should all be sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel and evangelizing is different than revival. When revival hits, special things happen just because the presence of God is there. And, and, and it's not us, it's not anything special about us, it's just God showed up and showed out. And where, where I see the prayer for this is out of Acts 4. They, the, in, in Acts 4, the, the disciples had, had healed the lame man. Um, it was quite evident that something was going on, God was on them, and, and the powers to be were worried. We're going to lose our influence. We're going to lose our position of respectability and power if, if, the, you know, if these guys keep doing what they're going to do. So they forbid the disciples from preaching in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> and they threatened them, killed some of them. In Acts 4, verse 29 and 30, this is the assembled group together are praying. And they prayed this, and this was their prayer for revival. It says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the, through the name of your holy servant Jesus. That's what our prayer needs to be. Lord, the world is threatening. Now, we have lived through a, a period of time where there, there, were, there, there were threats to the church, there was threat to Christianity, but most of it was overseas, and the threat to, to, to the American church and to most um, Western churches was more um, prosperity than physical threats. And in some ways, prosperity is a much deeper, worse threat than persecution physical persecution. It's much more subtle and it can get you far off very quickly. But today, there's both. We still have the the threat of prosperity pulling you off, deceiving you, but there's also the threat of if, if, you know, your faith needs to be lived in private, it's not allowed in public. Look at the Colorado baker. He's, He's... he won his case, went all the way to the Supreme Court, and now they've, they've come after him twice again. 
Same commission that got rebuked by the Supreme Court of the United States. Come back and said, no, you, you still can't do this. We'll find another way to get you. There are people in businesses all over that have, have been driven out of business, driven into bankruptcy because they dared to stand up publicly and say, I'm a Christian. I draw a line. I can do all of this, but I cannot do this or I refuse to do this. And they're coming after them. There are people literally in the streets that, that are being assaulted because of their stand for Christ. You go overseas, the, 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 the um, rate of martyrdom is pretty high. A lot of places, you will, you will pay the price with your life for declaring that I'm a Christian. You go to China, they're, they're killing Christians in China. The government is killing Christians in China today. All over in Muslim countries, it's happening. So there is a price to pay, but we, when this happens, remember, we need to keep our eyes up. Jesus always said when things happen, when negative things came, he said, look up, look up. Get your eyes off your circumstances, look up, look to me, look to heaven, look to the word. That's where your answer lies. But, but this is even more basic. These people were, were, were doing things through the name of Jesus, but in, in Mark 16, the very last verse of, of, of the Great Commission that Mark recovered, it says, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs and wonders. We have, sometimes we have to ask, if God's not confirming what we preach, but with signs, are we preaching the word? Or are we preaching our morality? <clears throat> you need to be moral. You need to lead, lead, live a very clean, moral life. God never commanded us to preach morality. Never. He said, preach the good news. Good news is Jesus came. He lived. He died. And he resurrected. And he's offering you transformation and resurrection. You can change. Now, the word, the, the, the world, excuse me, the, when you come right down to the delusion that the world is living under, it's, it's all G Genesis 3, when Adam tempted Eve, her, her, her sin was, I can be like God. And the essence of sin is I become self-centered. I am the center of the universe. And when you do that, you're falling into that same delusion we need to preach the word, which is Jesus-centered. It's Christ-centered. It's all about him, not about me. That way, if when I fail and fall, it's not, you know, then there are consequences if you fail and you fall. But we need to preach Jesus. That's our call, and that should be our prayer. Now, part of the delusion, part of what we have been looking at, is Paul gives us some things to avoid, but he also gives us some things to pursue. There Again, <clears throat> we need to, to recognize, several weeks ago we went through uh, Romans, the end of Romans 7, and Rome, I think it's Romans 7, 24. Paul himself, after saying, look at me, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do do. And so I'm in the do-do. I've stepped in it one more time. And then his, his, his reaction to that is, oh, wretched man that I am. And 90% of the Christians stop right there and agree and say, 
Oh, yes, I'm a vile sinner. Of course you are. You fail in everything you've ever tried. We're, we're all failures. But that's not where Paul stopped. Paul went to Ephesians, or excuse me, to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that says, There is now no condemnation. For that man who cried out, O wretched man that I am, I'm not condemned. I'm not condemned. I'm not condemned. That's the good news. The good news is you're an abject failure at everything. You shoot for the mark and you always miss it. You shoot and you miss. You shoot and you miss. You shoot and you miss. I've, I've known people that are pretty good shots. I remember, uh, I wasn't there, but I read in, in World War II when they started looking for gunners on these bombers that had machine guns bristling out of every, um, every direction. They always went to the country boys because they knew how to lead targets. They were used to hunting. Well, I grew up on a farm. I grew up shooting. And you put a barn and you put me real close, I'll still miss the barn. I'm the worst shot in the world. It's embarrassing how bad I shoot. That's just my nature. Now, that, that's a, I'm, I was a bad shot because I never took my time and never learned how to shoot and never practiced. But my point is, we all miss. You could get pretty good at it and still be bad at it. You're going to miss in life more than you make. Keep in mind, one of the greatest hitters of all time, Babe Ruth, He's no longer the home run king. Several people have passed his record for home runs. Nobody's come close to his record for strikeouts. Do you know his name for being the greatest strikeout artist in history? No. You know for what he conquered, not what he failed. Because he didn't concentrate on his failures, he concentrated on what he achieved. That's what God's called us to do. But, he, but, but let's get back to this delusion. We need to preach the word and pray God shows up to confirm his word. That's when we'll have revival. When God shows up. The word always works. It works in your life and it'll work in your life by faith. And you can't just depend on God to come in and magically you know, fix everything because you waved your spiritual wand. Faith doesn't work like Harry Potter wand. Or Mary Poppins, whatever Mary Poppins did. Faith is an exercise that you do and you grow and you grow and you get revelation and you keep growing and you keep applying it and you keep beating that, that mountain down until that mountain parts. But it's, it's work and you have to work at it and you have to grow at it. But there in, in 2 Timothy, well, let's just start. Um, let me read the verse 1 again. We're in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. He said, but know this, in the last days perilous times will come, stressful times, times of, of, of great persecution, great problems. We're there. We're living in it. But in, in verse 5, after he went through all of the problems, he talks about the thing we should avoid. That is people that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power. From those kinds of people, turn away. What, what he's talking about here. He does not mean that we need to turn away from people that are struggling with their sin. Those are the people we need to get in, in right in the muck with them. Jump down in the mud and get dirty if you have to. But you get in to help them get out. 
Amen? The people we are to avoid are the people that are in their sin and say, this is how God made me. And you know what? Nothing I can do will affect how God loves me. There's truth there. God loves the most vile sinner. He does, and you can't affect His love. But you can behave in a way that's going to bring destruction to your life and destruction to those that are around you. And those people that excuse their, their misbehavior. Well, I know that, that you know, I, I lost my temper, but you've got to understand, I'm a Roberts, and, you know, the Roberts boys, we just all had tempers. And I didn't really mean to hurt you. I remember when we were little kids, um, my older brother, who was, I mean, when, when we were all full grown, he was two inches taller and 80 pounds heavier than my little brother, I either. Plus, he had two years growth on me because he was two years older and six years on my little brother. And we were out playing one day, and he was going to show us how you really swing a baseball bat. And he was, I mean, he was intent. He was going to teach us something. And he swung that thing, and it came around on the backswing, and he caught my little brother right on the side of the head and knocked him out clean, cold. Total accident. Didn't mean to do it. He was still down for the count. He was out. He was hurt. He had a headache for a week. I mean, today they would have taken him through the whole concussion protocol. Never meant to do it, but he hurt him bad. It doesn't matter what your intention is. <laughs> Intentions have nothing to do with this. We, we, if, if people are, 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 if we're excusing our sin and saying, I can't change this, this is the way I am. God made me this way. No. No. You may have that natural trait. You may have that natural inclination, but if it's, if it's an inclination that's, that's, that's um, um, pulling you towards the, the sensual, pulling you towards things that, that you act that hurt people or, or, or disturb people, then you're supposed to resist that. That's a manifestation of your flesh. That's a manifestation of, of, of the evil one in you. And you are commanded, just like uh, James said, resist the devil and he will flee for you, from you. Sometimes that devil is your own flesh nature. And we are commanded to, to resist that, but we have to understand that it's only through Jesus that we can conquer that. Even when we're, when we're in the midst of manifesting that, it has no dominion over us. We just read that earlier. Romans 6.14, sin shall not have dominion over you. You might be the prodigal son in the middle of the pig pen. Anytime you want to get up and get out and go home, you have the freedom to do so. The devil cannot hinder you. He cannot keep you from coming back. Amen? But we do need to jump in and, and, and use the word. But we need to use the word not to justify our sin, but to use the word to overcome our sin. And then we need to preach the good news to those that are in the pit still, that they can come out. The good news is not, well, God loves you just how you are. Yes, He does. The good news is God loves you, and He's provided a way out for you. Will you take that way out? 
But there's consequences if you don't. Now, part of, of what, what we looked at a little bit last week, and I want to go back and hit it again. Ephesians 5.17, we didn't cover this first, but I, I want to deal with this because we talked about not understanding what God's will is for things, for your life. And I've heard a lot of people say, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do. I don't understand what God's will is. Well, Paul says in Ephesians 5.17, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's commanded us. He says it is possible for me to know God's will. And it's interesting when he says there, uh, do not be unwise. <clears throat> That's in the Greek there. That is in the imperative mood, which means it is a command. He said, don't do this. Well, if he says don't do it, then there has to be a way that I, I cannot do it. If there's no way for me to if there's no way for me to accomplish that then you don't have the right to command me. You don't command a man with no legs to run. He can't fulfill your command. You're being unfair. But if you're just sitting down being lazy and you commanded to to to, to run then you can. You may have to get in shape a while, may hurt a little bit, but you can do it. Peter or Paul says here, don't do this, don't be unwise. And that is, that is a fascinating word there, and I'm not going to go into the technicalities of it, but it's a combination of two words. One is the alpha, <coughs> excuse me, which we've gone over before. In the Greek language, you take any word and put an alpha, the A, in front of it, it, it reverses. It's meaning. It's, it's like saying unbelief. Believe is a positive thing. Unbelief makes it negative. Alpha just turns it around. The, the, the word here for, for wise, for wisdom, is the Greek word friend, which literally is talking about uh, the seed of your thought, the seed of your passions. It's talking about your soul. So he's saying what he, what he really is saying, if you, if you just translate it, he's saying, don't be negative-minded. But even more, if you look at just the picture of what he's meaning, it, to, to be negative means to step out of that. Don't step out of your mind. Instead, in, 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 in the vernacular, American vernacular, he says, don't be out of your mind. Now, I know we've used, all used that phrase. Every wife in here has used it more than once. If you haven't said it, you've thought it. When you looked at your husband and said, that man's out of his mind. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. Don't get out of your mind. That's, that's negative wisdom. Don't take what, what your passions say, but, but and here's, here's the alternative. Remember, there's things to avoid and things to run to. He says, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. To understand means to be of one mind. Take my mind and join my mind with someone else's mind and be like-minded. That's what he's talking. But when I'm supposed to be like-minded, I'm to understand what the will of the Lord is. I'm to be one-minded, single-minded with Christ. And I only do that through my knowledge of the Word. 
And I've said it before, you've got to get in the Bible, and you've got to read it, and you've got to study it. But if you, if you don't know a lot about the Bible, then get you an easy-to-read translation. Start at, at Romans 1.1 and read to the end of Jude. And when you're done, go back to Romans 1.1 and read to the end of Jude. And camp there until you start getting some revelation. The Gospels are great, great stories, great, great revelation. But if you're already saved, you've got the message of the Gospel. That is the message of the Gospel. The message of the Gospels is to the, un, un, to the lost. The message to the church is Romans through Jude. And just read it and read it and read it. And when you, when you hit a verse and it just it sticks... You get a light bulb go off, then stop there. God's trying to tell you something. Just study that out for a while. Let me give you a natural example of something. You all know I've, I've, I'm a, a recovering science teacher. Many, many years ago, I was teaching physics. And I teach physics at a very simple level, algebra one math. But I was teaching a particular concept. It was, it was the very first part of the year. And I had this one student, and I'd had him in, in class before, and, and he, he was a very intelligent boy, but he was as lazy as the day was long. I mean, he just, he, he would not lift his finger to do anything. But I'm explaining this concept, and I'm taking them through the math, because science without math is not science. That's why most of you didn't like science, because you had to do math. And I'm going through, and I'm explaining it, and we get done, and I look at him, and I could just tell. The light bulb went off. And he said, wow, I get that. That's not hard. It's like I've been trying to tell you guys, this is not really hard. The mathematics is not hard. Algebra 1, everybody does algebra every day. You don't even think about it. You just don't realize you're doing it. But it's not that hard. A couple of weeks later, hand him the test. He takes the test and fails miserably. And I give him back his test, and he looks at me and he says, I do not understand this, Mr. Roberts. You went through this, and I understood everything that you said. I know this. But when it comes time to take the test, I just can't get it out. He said, I guess I'm just not a good test taker. I said, no, it has nothing to do with you taking tests. It has to do with I'm standing at the, at, the, at the whiteboard with my marker and I'm taking you through it step by step. I'm opening years and years and years of studying this stuff and getting revelation on this. I know the math frontwards, backwards, sideways, upside down. I know the physical concepts and I'm allowing you, I'm opening my mind and allowing you and letting you join with me and taking you step by step through this and it's very understandable because it's not complicated but then when i get done your job is to take that same concept and i handed you a sheet of 30 or 40 problems and i said go do them all and if you had gone and done them all eventually you would have taken what i gave you and you got a revelation of it when i was walking you through it and suddenly you would have made it your own and then, once it's yours, you can give it back to me on the test. You had the revelation, but you didn't make it your revelation. You cheated and tried to stay on mine. And when it comes time for the test, your, my revelation will not help you. The exact same thing is true spiritually. You can read the Bible and read the Bible, and suddenly a verse just pops up and, wow, I've never seen that. 
that, I've, that's different than what I've seen before. I see that in a new light. At that moment, you have a revelation. God has opened his mind and said, I want you to see this in a new way. And most of us, wow, that is really good. I'm going to remember that. And three days later, we have no memory of it at all. Why? Because we didn't take that revelation and say, how does that revelation apply to my life? Every day. Every day. And then take that revelation and figure out a way that it applies to my life and walk it out and walk it out and walk it out and walk it out until that revelation becomes my revelation and my mind joins with his mind permanently because I've made it mine. Then the gospel will change my behavior. That is not hard to do. You've got the Holy Spirit helping you to do that. But going from His revelation to your revelation is a process. And if you just think, well, I got it. I understood it. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And you walk away, you will be like James, a man who looks in the mirror and sees himself and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. That's exactly what James is talking about. We have to take those little glimpses into God's Word and join our minds. That's how we understand what the will of the Lord is. We take the revelation He gives us and we start applying it to our everyday lives. Now, I want to get specific about these delusions that are, we're going to see them. Paul said it. I'm going to go back to 2 Timothy 3.1. But know this. In the last days, that, that, that term there, last days, we technically we've been in the last days since Jesus resurrected. The church age is the, the entire church age is the last days. Paul's not talking about the technical, the last 2,000 years. He's talking about at the very end. Because remember, he also, uh, uh, the, the Bible also says the end of this age and getting ready to birth into the next age is like birth pangs, it's like going into labor. And I've used this, this illustration before. Most women, when they start into labor, they're in labor two, three days, and they don't even know they're in labor because the, the, um, the contractions are so mild that you don't feel it. But then there comes that day when you feel that first little twinge, and it starts building and building and building and building till at the very end, if, if your husband's sitting there right next to you, you're ready to grab his hand, pull him close, and beat him mercilessly for putting you in this position. Why? Because the closer it gets to birth, the harder it gets, the harder the contractions get, the more painful it gets until the baby is born. And once the baby's born, everything's forgotten. I got the baby here. And we're all happy again. That's where we are. We're in the very last days. And the birth pangs of this next age that's about to come in are starting to get more intense and more intense and more intense. That's why 100 years, 200 years, 50 years ago, it was easier to be a Christian. Actually, I'm not sure it was easier to be a Christian. I, I read a report this week. I think it was the Barna Group did, did some, uh, some reporting. And, and Ed Stetzer, who works in, at Moody, in Chicago did a lot of data crunching 
And what they have found is, because people will tell you, you know, the, the people that identify as nons, N-O-N, um, is growing tremendously. They don't have any religious affiliation. And, and the percentage of people that are Christians is dropping. And they, when they dug into those statistics, that's actually not a true story. That's not a true representation of what going, is going on. Now, it is true, the people that self-identify as Christian, that number is dropping. But where it's dropping is in the middle group. If, if you look at people that are strongly affiliated with the church, that are strongly uh, committed to their faith, that number has grown in recent years, in the last decade. The church, the active church, the remnant that take their Christianity seriously. This is not just something that I say and, you know, you go on Sunday morning, you got to do your due diligence, you put a little tip in the offering plate and you've tipped God and now we're okay. I'll go out and, you know, church or, or Christianity's for Sunday morning and then I'm going to live my life the way you got to live your life because, you know, nobody else will take care of me. So I got to take care of myself. And if you have to cheat a little, you have to cheat a little. You know, if you have to do this, you have to do this. But those that are dedicated, that say Christianity is at the core of my being, and I'm going to live my life according to the dictates of the world, that number is growing. The ones that are losing are the people in the middle that have, it has been easy to identify as a Christian until there's a little price to pay as identifying for a Christian. It's like going to, to the, being in the, and I'm not trying to get political, but think of this. It'd be like getting in the, the middle of the Democratic National Convention and, and wearing your MAGA hat. Or getting in the middle of, of, a, of a, uh, a Trump rally and pulling out I Love Bernie t-shirt. Either place, you're going to pay a price for that stand. They're going to come after you. Well, that's what it's like to be a Christian in these days. You can't identify as a Christian and not pay a price today. People will look down on you. They will tell you you're racist. They'll tell you that you're a, a homophobe. A, well, they got, an, they got almost as, well, I think they probably got more phobias than they have genders. And we're up to at least 156 different genders. So I don't know, we may be a few thousand phobias. But there's a price to pay in that group in the middle thinning out. You're either anti or pro, and there's not much in between. And the closer we get, it's going to get more perilous, it's going to get harder, and it's going to be harder to stay non-committed, to stay in that middle. You're either going to have to go to one extreme or the other. You're going to have to fight God or join in and fight with God. If you're smart, you fight with God. Now, why is this way? This is verse 2, and I'm just going to start into this list. We're not going to get very far. But one of the reasons that the times are going to be, are going to be perilous, they're going to be stressful, is men will be lovers of themselves. This is a, You have to understand, the Bible uses the word love a lot, and we have one word for love. If you go back in the Gospels, after Jesus was resurrected, he went to Peter and he asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And he did this three times, four times. I forget now. I'm, I'm, I didn't review this one. And at the end, it says that, that when, Peter, when God said, Peter, do you love me? And it says Peter was wounded. It's totally blind to people reading it in English because all it says is love, L-O-V-E, love, 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 love. If you read it in the Greek, Jesus asked Peter every time, 
Peter, do you agape me? And Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. And Jesus comes back again. Peter, do you agape, agape me? And Peter says, you know I phileo you. And Jesus comes back a third time. Peter, do you agape me? Peter says, Lord, you know I phileo you. And then finally, Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. He says, Peter, do you phileo me? And oh, that cut him to the quick. Because Peter's thinking back, I denied him three times. He's asked me three times, do I love him? Wow, he's, he's, pointing, he's pointing out my sin. Lord, why are you doing this? It's not what Jesus was doing. But, but in the Greek, I think there are like five or six different words. There, there, there's agape, which is the God kind of love. There's phileo, which is the brotherly love. There's eros, which is erotic love. Um, there are a couple others. I don't remember them now. But, but what we're talking about here, when it says men will be lovers of themselves, it's talking about brotherly love. It's talking about how you love your brother. It's, it's a phileo love. It's what you feel for a son or a daughter or a good friend or someone that, that's close to you. Uh, it's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not talking about agape. Agape looks at someone and says, I am going to act in your best, in, in your best interest no matter what your behavior is. That's God's kind of love. Phileo love says, Ronnie, I love you. I'm going to act in your best interest as long as it's reciprocated. If I love you and you smack me, I'm backing up. I have limits to how much I can phileo because phileo is looking for a return. God didn't love us in a phileo manner. He loved us in an agape manner. He gives and gives and gives and gives, and he'll continue to give until the day that he judges everything. And then those that have received him, he'll continue to give. But, but <clears throat> for us, to be a lover of yourself, that's Genesis 3-4 all over again. That is the fall of man. That is Satan looking at Eve and saying, if you just eat this, remember, God, God lied to you. If you just eat this fruit, you'll be just like him. You'll know the difference between good and evil. And when she ate, her life centered on herself at that point. It was God-centered before that, but then it became, everything's about me. And that's where the problems come in. Is, and, and the world will tell you, well, I understand about this Christianity, I understand about Jesus, but that's your truth. It's not my truth. Oh, Lord, talk about a delusion. There's only one truth, and it has no respect for you at all. The truth is the truth, whether you believe the truth or don't believe the truth. Up is always up, and down is always down. If you think you can overcome the law of gravity because you don't believe in it, go up to the Sears Tower and step off the edge. In about 30, 40 seconds, you will realize you were wrong. The last thing you were wrong about, but you'll, you'll realize it. You know, it's like the little boy said, that fall didn't hurt anybody. That sudden stop at the end was painful. Well, for every untruth, there is going to be a sudden stop at the end. The truth is there, and we have to realize it does not reside in me. 
And when I say that, I mean in my flesh. It doesn't originate out of me. I have to do what, what, what Paul said in Ephesians 5, 17. I have to understand what the will of the Lord is. I have to join my mind with his mind, and he's given me his mind. He's given me his thoughts. He's given me his word. And I have to take that word and change the way I think and start identifying with it. Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 3, <clears throat> If anyone loves God, this one is known by him. If I will love you, and that, that word is agape. If anyone <clears throat> agapes the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I've said it before, we need to, at some point in our lives, in our Christian walk, we need to quit using the term God. God is too general. I can agree with a lot of, of religious faiths about God in general. But when I name my God and say His name is Jesus, things change. Now I've put a marker down. Jesus is my God, not Muhammad, not Buddha, not, not any, not Gia, which is the, the goddess of the earth, not Sophia, which is the goddess of wisdom. You can't get wisdom apart from Jesus doesn't exist, or not in a form that will do you any good. But if, if anyone agapes God, if anyone looks to Jesus and says, Lord, I love you above all else, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to join my spirit with your spirit. That person is known, and that, that known, it's a verb, it's in the perfect tense. It means it is an accomplished deal once for all time. It's done. God knows you. It's also the, the, the word there, known, is, is the word for um, um, having sexual unions with a husband and a wife. I know my wife like no one else knows my wife because we are one flesh. And the longer we live together, we are one, more and more of one mind. You know, the, the old saying, uh, eventually if, if a... Uh, a person lives with a dog long enough, they start to look like their dog. Well, have you noticed that, that if you live long enough with another person, you start to sound alike, look alike, think alike? Why? Because you're joining, you're joining, you're joining, you're joining, you're knowing one another. And in knowing God, you start to think like God. You start to talk like God. You start to act like God. To the point where people, especially theologians, especially unbelieving theologians, will say, Ah, oh, you think you're God. No, I don't, but I think I've got the God of the universe on the inside of me. I think I've got His Word in my heart and in my mind, and I think when He commands me to do something, I'm going to do it. When He says, resist the devil and attack this disease or attack this sin or pray for a brother, I'm going to do it. And I will command it because it's God's will, not because it's mine. Now, you may listen from the outside and think, man, that guy is arrogant. He thinks he has, he thinks he has dominion over this. Yes, I do. I have dominion because Jesus gave me dominion. And I'm going to stand up and say, He gave it to me, I'm going to use it. It'd be like you living in a war zone and you walk in your backyard and there's a couple of tanks and a couple of howitzers and a couple of missile launchers and you look over and you say, Yeah, I, I, I just I don't really like guns. 
Your neighbors are dying. Pick up a gun. Stand a watch. The world's going to hell out here. What are we doing to prevent it? Are we praying for God to show up in their lives? Are you backing the devil off of them and stripping the blinders off their eyes? Are you warring day and night and night and day and investing your life in their life? Well, brother, you don't have any idea how busy I am. If you're too busy to pray for your family, you're too busy. Cut some things out of your life. That may be hard, but it's the truth. We, we have an eternity to play. We have an eternity to reap and, and the blessings of God. This is the time to work. If I'm paying you a good salary to, to come on a job and do the job, you work while you're on my job. You don't come play. You don't come read. You don't come do something else. You don't sit on your phone and play whatever stupid games they have on their phones. My grandkids always get upset with me. They want to grab my phone and say, Gimpo, what kind of games you got? Like, I don't have games. That's a tool, guys. It's not a toy. Now, for them, it's a toy. They got games. They got things. I, for me, it's just a tool. You want to see what I've got on my, on my phone? I've got about a thousand uh, Bible programs. I've got all kinds of music that's all God-centered. I got sermons galore downloaded. Why? Because it's a tool. It keeps me tied in. It can I get 10 minutes out in... I, I, I just quit buying books, and I love books. My family will tell you. They tried to give away some of my books years ago when we moved. It was like, we got to get rid of some of these books off the shelf. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't give my friends away. And it's become a standing joke. Oh, books are your friends. You don't put them in the box to give away. You're darn tootin'. But you know what? I quit buying them. Why? Because I have this thing with me all day, every day. Well, not all day, because at night I turn the ringer off, I set it on the table, and I go to bed. You can't get a hold of me after, well, I say night. Middle of the afternoon for most of you. But then I'm up at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, if if you really need me, just leave me a message at 3. When I get out, I'll call you back. That was a joke, sort of. But, But... when I'm out doing things, I have, actually right now I've got five books that I'm in the midst of reading, all five of them. I've got my two devotionals, and I've got about three books that I'm about a third through one and halfway through another one. And I can, if I get ten minutes where I'm stuck in my car, Kindle comes open. And I decide, Lord, which book do I need to read? And I'll sit and I'll read, you know, three or four pages, think about it, meditate on it constantly reading why because i'm i read things that feed my faith i read things that inform me help me to live and fight and stand for my life i i I live on youtube but what do i watch on youtube sermons and i know i say that sometimes especially when when i'm in school and kids look at you like sermons you listen to sermons you listen to someone preach for hours and hours, now some of them I listen about five minutes and they, they go in the, the delete column and I'll go to another one because if it's not feeding me, it's gone. And I, I've got to, I, I, I have no taste buds when it comes to natural food. I'll eat a lot of junk. But when it comes to spiritual food, I've got a very discriminating palate. 
And if I tasted a little bit of unbelief, delete, it's gone. I'm going to listen to people that feed my faith. And I'm constantly doing that. Sometimes I'm, I'm going down the road and I've just got it on. You think I'm talking on the phone because I got my phone up to my ear. I'm just listening, driving down the road, listening to somebody preach. Can't concentrate real well because I've got to concentrate on the road. But I'm constantly, I don't want to be a lover of myself. I'm trying to get myself out of my own head and realize that there is a bare world out here. I got all eternity to rest. Now, don't get me wrong on that one. You know, there's an old saying, I'd rather burn out than, than rust out. Well, let's find a medium. Work. And when you get tired, go to bed. You know, you got to find a balance between work and, and, and play and worship. In some ways, worship ought to be in part of all of it. But there are times when you just need to play. You just need to go relax a while. And hopefully not in front of the boob tube. That's not relaxing. That's just vegging out. And I do that occasionally, too. But I have found the, the more I get in the Word, the less I want to sit in front of that TV. My tastes change. Why? Because there's a lost and dying world out there. And I got all eternity to sit back and relax and worship. Amen? So, first one. Didn't get very far. Men are lovers of themselves. That's what we need to avoid, but I need to be a, 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 someone who loves God, who agapes God. And let me finish with this last scripture, for, or two. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. The love here, every one of these, it's some form of agape. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And who, who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, I remember the first time I, I, I encountered this verse in, in school. They had us do this little exercise, and I want you to think about this as I read through this. And watch me, because the hand motions actually make a little sense. Verse 7, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born, left hand up, born of God, and knows God, right hand up. Now notice verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, right hand down. For God is love. It does not mean that if you meet people and they're not walking in love, they're not born of God. It means they haven't experienced God on a personal level. They haven't joined their mind with God and know God in an intimate way. Because the question comes up all the time. Well, you know, and, and for me, it's always this, you know, do you believe in once saved, always saved? Well, I liked Kenneth Copeland's remark when somebody asked me that years ago. He said, I'm not trying to get out. Why do I worry about it? Because the question always comes when you get in this argument, can you lose your salvation or is it once saved, always saved? It's like, who are we talking about? Well, we're talking about my, my cousin who says he's a Christian, but he lives an ungodly lifestyle. Well, pray for him. But quit trying to judge whether he's a Christian or not. It's not your business. You are not his judge. You are not God. But what you need to do is judge yourself. Because you can look at people, they could be genuinely born of God, a Christian, and not know the first thing about God. Never have joined their mind. Never have been taught in the Word. Some of them, it's not even their fault. They've grown up in churches that only taught John 3.16. 
I grew up in a church, and I'm telling you, I heard the same sermon 755 million times. Ye must be born again. If you are born again and life's not working out well, try harder. Those were the two sermons, and you heard one variation every time you went to church. Get born again. If it's not working, try harder. And if you're going to try harder, get down here to the altar and, and, and rededicate. Rededicate. I rededicated till my knees wore out. Got tired of rededicating. No. If you're not seeing the fruit of your salvation experience, it's because you don't know God. You have not joined your mind with His. That's the key. But don't judge people who are living an ungodly lifestyle and say they couldn't be born again. Of course they could. I will tell you as a point of fact, some of the meanest, nastiest people you will ever meet are backslidden Christians. Because they're under conviction. And when you stay under conviction long enough, it makes you mean. You're angry. I want to come out from under the conviction. Well, then come over and know God. Get your lights straightened up. But if they don't know how, you condemning them for their lifestyle doesn't bring them out of their lifestyle. It just makes them miserable. Preach the word. Offer them a way out. Well, they're not looking for a way out. Maybe not. Doesn't change God's command to you. Amen? So what, what do we have to do? Because really, when it comes down to it, sure, there's a lot of people in the world that are lovers of themselves. It's rampant in today's world. For me, that's something I have to avoid. Do I have areas in my life where I'm, I'm the number one need in my life? No, I need to run to 1 Corinthians 8, 3 and 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Lord, how am I loving myself instead of loving you? How am I loving myself instead of loving others? How can I apply this to my life? And if, you're, if, you, if you really need to, then, then pick those, those three verses and read them. Read around them. Read a chapter before, chapter after, meditate on them, ask God about them, and just stick there for a while and say, God, I don't want to be a lover of myself. I want to be a lover of other men. How do I do that? And stay before Him and stay before Him until you get some light on the subject. When you get some light on the subject, start walking in it. And when you start walking in it, you will take that joining, that revelation He gave you, and it will start to become you. And suddenly, it's your revelation, and you can actually walk it out. And suddenly you find out that not only are you born of God, but you know God. Then life gets a lot more funner. I know that's not good English, but you get the point. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.